Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Hey, Purse. Hey, Sarah. What's up? I am feeling high on life. Are you? That's really good. I really am. Honestly, after this conversation we had with our guest today, I'm feeling, I'm feeling light as a feather. Yeah, me too. I love when we have conversations like this, when it's basically a therapy session. (laughs) This was fully a therapy session and our guest isn't a therapist, just to clarify, but it was, at the end of the day, it was a therapy session. Like, let's just be honest. And let's introduce our guest. Yeah, no preamble today. We're getting right into it. I'm actually really curious about this. Do you guys like the preamble that we do where we're just like shooting the shit together at the beginning of the episode? Are you kind of like, you know what, just get to the juicy stuff. I'd yeah, like to know. They just want the juice. If you want the juice, we'll stop, we'll stop prepping your ears with our nonsense and we'll just get right to the juice. Because all we do when we talk about what, like the pussycat dolls? <laughs> yeah. I think last our episode with Angel, we just like talked about the pussycat dolls. And like, I don't know, was Angel offended by that? Probably. She was like, You're really preamping our beautiful conversation with pussycat dolls. I mean, I would be drama. honored. <laughs> I'd be honored too. I'd be like, yes, put me in that. Include me, please. Yeah, put me in the Pussycat Dolls. Yes, Remember please. Search for the Next Doll? Oh, I'll never forget. Never forget. That was a great show. And then obviously Girlicious. Not everything she do is like me. Ooh. Ooh, I loved Girlicious, man. I really liked them for a hot second. <laughs> I honestly wasn't as into Girlicious. I'm surprised I wasn't, but I never That's really like, got on board. That's fair. I, I just like liked a few of their songs and I, and I thought they were fun and I thought they were pussycat doll vibes. <laughs> they I mean they were, you're not wrong. But anyway, I guess we did end up preambling a little bit. My bad. Um, classic. I know it's classic us. We just can't stop talking to each other. So Sarah, who did we have on the show today? We have been talking her up. Oh girl, she deserves it. Her name is Donna Noble. She is a LGBTQIA plus relationship coach and expert. So she helps couples within the queer community overcome their relationship struggles, any crises that are going on in their relationship. She works with them one-on-one to, or I guess two-on-one to sort out the the struggles and see if they can move past it and be happy. And essentially, I mean, it sounds like save or rebuild their relationship. And we connected with Donna through Instagram and we just thought, we talk about this in the conversation, but like, guys, we quite often talk about relationships and dating on this podcast and y'all will DM us all the time being like, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this breakup or this 
person I like, or this, my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. And we give you advice, guys, we are not qualified to be giving you any relationship or dating advice. Like, you know, I know we have a podcast about sexuality, but y'all S and P are not, you know, exactly the relationship pros. Would you, would would you say that? (laughs) I feel like, listen, we, we, I think we can give advice. I actually think most of the time we give good advice, but at the end of the day, we really did need to hear from an expert. Yeah. And, and I just, we thought it was really cool that Donna specializes in queer relationships through her programs and her coaching, because as we've talked about on the podcast before, queer relationships are different from straight relationships in a lot of ways. They're the same in a lot of ways too, but there are a lot of factors that queer couples deal with that are totally different from a straight couple. And you need that unique um, perspective and that unique expertise to provide you with tools to make your relationship better. And Donna, as a queer woman and a a queer relationship specialist, like she has that perfect perspective. She's able to provide that. And girl has gone through some trauma in her love life, which she does not shy away from telling us about. She's going to get into it for you guys. And that was painful to hear, but um, I think ultimately brought us into like a really important conversation about trauma and growing in relationships and how it hurts a lot, but ultimately it's for the best. Yeah. And also how it's like really shaped her into the person she is today and how she also treats her partner and vice versa. It's very, very interesting. And yeah, Donna explains the story with just like so much grace. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen in and hear her story. I mean, it was truly, she caught us off guard. Like when Donna said that I was like, I was caught up. I was speechless for like a full minute. It's just, there's going to be no Sarah voice for a minute, which I think (laughs) you all will enjoy thoroughly. (laughs) I can't shut up. We really didn't know what to say. Yeah. And, and I would just like to say for the record that I was most excited for this conversation because I thought Persis would get some really amazing tips for her next queer relationship uh, (laughs) and her next queer relationships, plural. Um, And anyway, I just kind of I ended up getting so much out of this and asked so many questions pertaining to my own love life and my past and my future. So all of these tips and um, insights you're about to hear are completely relevant to anyone who loves anyone who feels anything for any other human, but queer couples, this one's especially for you. Exactly. Special shout out for our queer people, Emma, right? Y'all know we love you. (laughs) Literally, this podcast is dedicated to you. It's what we do. Thank you, Donna, so much for chatting with us. Um, If you guys want to get in touch with her and either hire her as your coach or even just see what she's up to, she always posts a lot of really interesting information on her Instagram. You can find her at Donna Noble. It's D-A-W-N-A-N-O-B-L-E. So it's spelled a little different than you might might see other Donnas spelled. Um, But go check her out because she's incredible. Yeah. Show her some love, Donna. Thank you so, so, so much. And honestly, I hope we just like stay in touch. I need you. (laughs) Yeah. We really need you. I I hope, you know, like you opened yourself up to a can of worms here. (laughs) Yeah. You really did get ready for some DMS coming your way, coming your way 2022. nice to meet you both is it persis 
Persis, yes. Persis and Persis Sarah. Persis okay. Sarah. Yep. Welcome to the pod. We're so grateful that you're here. Awesome. You know, we've been trying to set this up for a while, so we're yeah. so happy we can finally talk to you because awesome. we were actually just talking about this before you got on. Like we talk about relationships and dating a lot on this pod and we are just like not qualified in the least, like <laughs> to be giving out advice. <laughs> no, not at all. And as soon hmm. as we found out about you, we were hmm. like, we got to get her on so that we can have an actual expert talk to our listeners about queer relationships and how they work. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And <laughs> I am just getting up to date. I just listened to your last episode, which was awesome Sweet. with Angel. Yes. Thank you for listening. Yeah. My partner, Ash, and I were sobbing watching that episode. Um, just, Same. Man. Yeah. So I love that you're able to do that. It was a very like important conversation, like so eye-opening. And I was the same, like I was emotional, like crying, crying watching Angel and her dad. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's the one that got me for sure. Yeah. Totally. Can you start off by just telling everyone a little bit about you and what you do? I'm a relationship expert. I am trained in a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. Um, I was trained by Dr. Stan Tatkin, who started this model. Um, so if you're into relationships, you might know like John Gottman or Sue Johnson, who kind of took things more to the science, the research behind relationships and how they work. And so the model that I use is, is based upon how we perceive threat. Why do we get triggered in, with the person that we, that we love the most? Getting some nice tips and tricks is good, but it's not maintainable. And it doesn't matter how much you love someone. If you don't feel secure and safe with them, then it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, yeah. So I show couples how to eliminate the threat and create security. Do you feel like that's um, a common niche in your field? Or is that just the approach that, is that like a specific approach that a lot of therapists will take? No, more people are getting trained in this. It's called PAC therapy. It's so quick to bring relief to couples in crisis. Um, and what it does is it, it isolates the moment. What happens, I don't know if you've been in a fight with your partner, have you ever found yourself being like, well, last week you said this and the week before that, you, you know, you're bringing in this history mm-hmm. when in the moment, my responsibility is I have to learn how to be an expert on you and bring you relief when you're in distress. And until right. I can do that, we're not going to get anywhere in this conversation. Um, so it's it's very effective. And um, I think it's one of the better models that I've seen with couples specifically. That's, That's so really cool. interesting. How mm-hmm. did you get into this? Well, I was a midwife. I worked in labor and delivery for almost 10 years. And I don't like having a boss. I hate it. <laughs> I, I don't thrive. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, and I knew I wanted to do something like I got into labor and delivery because I was working overseas in Africa and I've really wanted to really be able to bring something that would benefit. I didn't want to just be another white person coming in to like, you know, garden. Like I really wanted to help. So I came back and got educated and thought I'd go back and work overseas. And so I ended up getting trained. I did all my requirements, did my residency, got to the point to my boards, and I, I didn't do it. I couldn't. It, I was wow. so, wow. Um, I, I started getting obsessed with um, uh, attachment theory, 
and behavioral analysis and threat response and conflict resolution. So I started getting wow. into it at that point. Um, uh, my wife at the time was um, a sex therapist and all of our oh. friends were therapists. And so that was my world. So I was kind of immersed in it pretty quickly. That's cool. Is your wife still practicing sex therapy or no? Um, I don't know. We actually, we got, she ended up um, having, unfortunately, an affair with a client. We were working together doing couples work um, and she ended up in a relationship with, with someone. So we, we ended up getting divorced. I'm Holy sorry. Shit. I am so sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, yeah. I mean, definitely the wor worst thing I've ever been through, but also... I'm so grateful for where it brought me now. I mean, it, it lit me, it, it pushed me in this direction even more. I was going to say, so were you already a relationship therapist and expert at that time? Yeah. Yes. Um, wow. so I'm not a therapist. I'm a relationship coach that's trained in pack therapy. Got it. Um, okay. She's a therapist. She was a therapist and trained in sex therapy. So we had a podcast called conversations, um, closeted conversations with my wife. Um, it's a great name. Yeah, yeah that is a great, a great name. name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just talking about the fights that same sex couples get in. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So it, she ended up yeah in a relationship. So that ended. Jesus. Okay. And you're in a loving relationship now with a new partner. Yeah. Are you ready for a whopper? Yes. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> it was, um, it wasn't like a client. She had started a training and it was online beginning of COVID. She ended up meeting this couple who she was doing this training with. It was kind of an open forum um, for non-supportive, for couples with non-supportive family and friends. So she ended up doing this training, met this couple, lesbian, married couple, and ended up in an affair, initially an emotional affair, and then it went to a physical affair. Anyways, I was married to and was involved with this woman named who was married to This is kind of messy, but this is just what it is. Um, oh. Yeah. Wow. And so she ended up um, having an affair. We didn't know. October 17th, they told both of us on the same morning they want a divorce. There was no, there was no conversation, no um, nothing. Just, uh, hey, this isn't working. Oh and my God. I mean, biggest fear, right? You're with someone you love and then they tell you I'm out. Um, out of the blue sort of thing. Out, out of the blue. No clue. Not a... You know, I thought I was in a really, I, I mean, not a perfect relationship, but I thought I was in a, like a secure relationship. I did not see that coming. So we ended up separating um, within the month. I moved out. So did the other pair. We didn't know about each other. The two of us did not know anything until two months later, I got a text, I got an Instagram from this woman, Ash, who was the wife of the woman that she had an affair with. And she right. we, we put all the pieces together. Oh and, my um, goodness. This is found out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I know. You weren't kidding when you said a whopper like that was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So I ended up flying her out to Oregon, Ash. I said, I, I want to meet you. I want to know you in yeah. real time. And um, so she flew out to Oregon and we just put all the pieces together. That, mm -hmm. Wow. Our wives were like gaslighting us and cheated mm. on us. And Jesus. we had no idea. Yeah. Jesus. At least it like 
brought you guys together. Yeah. You know, yeah. in, in the silver Wait, lining. wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Are you with Ash now? Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah we are. We're, yeah, we fell in love. It sounds like a movie. Hold on. Hold on. I did not get there. Articles have been published and diff we've been contacted by from different people with what we're, where we're going to go with this story, but yeah. we're still, we're still recovering in some ways, you know, totally. so we're not. Well, it's traumatic. It's, I feel like that's one of those life events that it's, it's super traumatic and it's like, bef it, it's your life before that happened and it's your life after that happened. And those are two different people almost like you were one person before and one person after. Yeah, Sarah, that's so true. I, I am not the same. You know, when you yeah. go through that level of grief, it does something to you, you know, and you can mm -hmm. get bitter. But I just remember being in so much pain and like I was trying anything for relief and then realizing like you just have to surrender to it and let it let it do its work. But um, Ash and I both feel like we're the partners we are now for each other because of what we went through. Mm -hmm. I could definitely see that. That's beautiful. Wow, this is absolutely a whopper of a story. And um, I I don't know if you guys know the story of Shania Twain and her and her divorce, but essentially exact same story as you. Really? Married to her producer. They had a high profile marriage. He cheated on her. Ugh. And then and then the wife of the or sorry, the husband of the person that he cheated on her with is now Shania's husband. You're not alone because you share something with that person that no one else shares. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It can bring you closer. It's, that's for sure. Yeah. We had a, a, a piece published in the mirror. It's a, um, in the UK, it's a big newspaper out there. And um, yeah. so many people have written us and said, that's the exact thing that happened to us. I mean, so many that oh this has God. happened to. I feel like that's maybe an unexplored phenomenon. Like, I wonder if this is worth like a whole documentary series of like why people who this has happened to and why. Yeah. I mean, I, there's so much research around trauma, the trauma bond, right? But you have to see like so many people, like uh, there's so many stories from 9-11 where people have, you know, the paramedic that couldn't save the husband, but then ended up comforting the wife. There's right. so many stories um, on yeah. that, but as long as it's, more there's more substance to it than just the trauma I think you know however you meet doesn't really matter okay so this trauma pushed you further into your work you were you did you feel more passionate about this as a as a career after that or yeah I felt very clear I mean for years before that for about five years I was working in this field and doing this consistently um, with my wife at the time I perseverate on things. If I find something that I'm interested in, I get obsessed with it and I want to be excellent at it. And so I've been looking, there's like this haunting in my gut. There's something that I want to give myself to. And I didn't know what it was. And I thought it was birth. And then I thought it was like overseas, third world kind of work. Um, and it just didn't click. Um, and then this work, working with couples and bringing clarity to confusion, just like, that's all I want to do. I can't, like when I have friends that are like, I'm going to, they can't wait to retire, right? They're working towards that. I can't imagine not doing this work. Yeah. Um, like it's actually something yeah. you enjoy and you're like called to do. Yeah. And after going through the, the divorce, I had a picture of um, 
my wife and our dog that we had at the time on my phone. And then the day after she told me, I put, um, I don't know if you know who, who Stare Perel is. Yeah, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah, she has a podcast called Where Should We Begin? Um, yeah. She's a lot of things, but um, I put her on my phone because I thought I'm going to work with the best. I want to be one of the best at this. So yeah, it definitely did. I think Esther is an amazing person to look up to. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Listeners, if you haven't heard anything from Esther before, like you can tune into her podcast. She She's a, a guest on tons of podcasts out there too. So there's like a lot of great Esther content and she's amazing. For yeah. sure. Esther Perel. She's mm. the bomb. So then what kind of services do you typically offer mm -hmm. to your clients? Yeah. Um, I work... Um, with couples for eight weeks. Um, specifically, I start with eight weeks. Um, I feel like that's a good time frame to be able to teach and show them the benefits of what I'm showing them pretty quickly. Um, and a lot of couples I work with tend to be in crisis, whether like we've gone mm. to therapy, it didn't work, this is our last shot. Mm -hmm. um, not always. Some just want, you know, to kind of get regulated and learn skills. But the majority of couples come to me are in a, you know, they're deciding, do we separate and where do the kids live? Or this relationship started in an affair. There's a lot of late in life lesbians coming out of, you know, 20, 30 year marriages. And we call it the catalyst, the woman that pulled, you know, pulled them mm -hmm. out. Right. Um, yeah. And, and then they're in this like, we don't know how to do relationships. We don't know how, how to create security. We're all longing to build our life with someone. But then when we get there, now the job is to not fuck it up. Right. right. But we, we don't really know what to do. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And the beginning of a relationship is so fun and exciting and new and, and it's just like endless happiness. When will we ever be not be happy? And I think once things get real, and that can happen, you know, a few months in or a few years in even. But once things get real, that's when I think people get really scared like of that of that idea. I can't now I really have to make sure I don't fuck this up. Yeah, well, we have this idea that, you know, the more, you know, the more committed we get, if I get a ring on my finger, we have a baby or buy a house, we're going to feel more secure when right. in actuality, we're more threatened. There's more risk involved. And our brain is trying to do its job and keep us safe. But it reminds us of the last time we trusted someone or depended on someone and it didn't go so well, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're on the lookout for it. And like now- you're almost looking for something to go wrong kind of thing? You're looking for those areas that you've been hurt in. So take my partner, Ash. She, I haven't cheated on her, but she was cheated on for the first time. And now she's carrying that into our relationship. I am now responsible for that wound. It when I like am texting someone and she gets scared, right? That could be a big fight. Who are you texting? I could go into the details, like, what are you talking about? I've never cheated on you, right? But I know that she's feeling scared and this is loaded. That has nothing to do with me. Of course, it's her experience. Right, exactly. And so how do I bring, eliminate that fear in her body and make her feel safe? There's a moment there that you can repair the brain faster from the trauma by creating security, or I can harm it. 
That's such an amazing point. I think we're all so scared in relationships of being called out and we get so defensive so easily, but but we are responsible for the other person's past wounds in terms of how we respond to them and how we make them feel safe instead of just brushing it aside because it's not it wasn't our fault we didn't do that to them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that I get couples to commit to. Like the couple is the priority. And when that's off, then everything else will suffer. Your job, your kids, how you show up in the world will suffer. And so we make an agreement. You and I come first. We protect each other in public and private. We show up for each other. We're fully accessible. You know, it's getting very, very clear around how, why we're doing this together that creates that security. Right. Yeah. So you work with your clients for eight weeks. Is it like, is it like a session every week? Is there like homework they have to do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, it's very personalized. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to therapy, but um, have you ever like had something come up and then you're like, oh shoot, I'll, I'm going to bring that up next week when I meet with him. And then you can't remember totally what's going on. And then you get there and you're like, everything's fine. But, yeah. um, yeah, what I offer is 24 seven support for that eight weeks. I get them to fully commit to this process and I commit to them. So if they're in a fight and they can't move through it, I want to know about it. I don't want them to stay. The longer you're activated in that state, your nervous system is on overdrive without getting relief, the more at risk you are for it to go into your long-term memory, Mm. right? And now we're looking for it. Now we're like, okay, where's it, you know? And then that's the stuff we're carrying into our next relationship. So if I can show them how to have that relief and how to offer it to each other. So we meet every week, but then you also have that support where you're getting that. We have so much more we want to talk to you about, but just 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 so we can like get this out of the way right now. If our if any listeners really want to work with you, how can they start working with you? Uh, just reach out to me on Instagram. It's just Donna Noble. Perfect. It's I like it better. It's more personal than a website. Yeah, and we'll make sure to link everything in the show notes. Awesome. So Thank can. you. Oh yeah, we'll link you. We'll share all your stuff. <laughs> I think that your approach to um, your coaching is really fascinating. I've never I've never heard of that before. And I think the 24-7 support, especially if it's a couple going through crisis, is like so necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, the, the thing about it is maybe in the beginning, I'll get a lot of, you know, I'll wake up to 30 messages from a couple or, you know, but as we go, it's like turning the volume down. They get more secure. They learn how to re- reach each other and, re- and bring that relief better. And so you get less and less interaction while you're teaching them these things. And it's just like, it's one of the most, like, I feel so honored. It's such a personal experience to allow someone into your relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, what do you think is the most satisfying part of your job? God. Um, I had a couple recently that said they'd been together for 20 years, a lesbian couple. And they said, I don't think we can keep doing this. It's not working. Um, and I said, I just, I said, give me four weeks at the end of four weeks. If you've done everything that I said, 
and you show up in the day to day and it's still not working, let's have that conversation. But can you commit to four weeks? And they said, yes. Within two weeks, they were like, Dawn, we have not felt this connected and oh. this together it, since we got ever. Like, and they just went on a second honeymoon to like celebrate. Yeah. Dada. And That's I mean, amazing. that is, I'm not, I tell couples, like, I'm not a magic pill, but if <laughs> right. you show up and do the, if you show up and do the work, if you really, especially when it's hard, because that's where it matters in the day to day, it works. It really does. That's the number one thing. I don't know about you, Purse, but for me, the number one thing I've learned from doing therapy, um, like, like individual therapy is that I, I didn't see, I didn't think it would be a magic pill, but I definitely thought like, oh, I'm paying this person and they're going to help me. But what I didn't factor in is that therapy is barely even about the therapist. It's about you doing so much work every single week and it's exhausting. And some days I really don't want to do it. Like Purse, have you also felt that way? It's hard work. Another thing too is sometimes when I'm talking to my therapist, I feel like I end up just solving my own issues. Like I'm just talking, talking, and sometimes it just helps to speak to someone with an objective perspective. And then we'll end a session and she'll be like, you just answered all of this. And I'm like, it's, it's really funny, but it's just like all my issues. I was like, okay, but yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And also yeah. I always remember that healing is also not linear. Right. So mm. I think mm-hmm. I would always put that pressure on myself, but I mean, the same thing goes for relationships as well. Yeah. I have one more question about your, like your process after the couple is done with the eight weeks or whatever time period they're with you. Mm. Is there any, like, do you, do they ever feel nervous leaving that like space <laughs> they've, you know what I mean? Like yeah. after do, is there any like support for them after to keep up with what they've learned from you? Yeah. They, I had this, this beautiful gay couple from out of Salt Lake that were like, Donna, we're so sad. You're going to break up with us soon. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so I just offer like, it's not like eight weeks cut, you know, it's like, I'm available. I, I'm here for you guys. So reach out and, and couples go from needing a lot of support to like as needed, you know, like once a month, can we check in um, right. to just keep yeah. tending to that? Um, even if you're not in crisis, I don't think you should wait to be in crisis to tend to your relationship. This is something that I think couples should, you know, have that resource regardless of the situation. But totally. I yeah. agree. And I feel like Mm -hmm. a common thing too for couples, um, and I've even just seen this on like my own TikTok page or even on Instagram, Mm -hmm. the longer you've been dating, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do a lot of couples sometimes come to you if they feel like their relationship is turning into more of a platonic relationship Mm -hmm. when it's been so many years and they almost Mm -hmm. feel like we just feel like we're friends or we're roommates rather than like lovers, (laughs) you know, I feel like that would be very common. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a really people say it's a lesbian thing, like a lesbian deathbed kind of thing, but it's, it's across the board, right? It's when we become family, it, unless you're like watching it and caring for it, you can just end up being roommates or good co-parents. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I ask couples, why are you together? It has to be more than just because you love each other. What do you do that reminds the other that you are more than just roommates? So yeah, that, that happens a lot, actually, unfortunately. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably not exclusive to queer relationships. No, No, not at all. (laughs) So let's dive into queer relationships a little, because that is like you, 
are a coach for queer relationships specifically. And we recently on the podcast, this is a while back now, we did a whole episode on the differences between queer relationships and straight relationships. I think we like had a really good conversation about it. We talked about a lot of different similarities and differences, but I, once again, we're not experts. And I think that it would be really interesting to hear your take as a specialist in queer relationships specifically. Like, what do you think that main difference is there? Or, or the many differences? I mean, the main ones that come up is like roles. There's, there's no, there's expectations in, you know, I know things have developed and changed as like, especially in our generation, but um, with same sex couples, what are the expectations? Who does what? That causes a lot of tension at times. And then a lot of couples, not all couples, but, you know, LGBTQ plus couples are going in without full support. So there's isolation right from the beginning. Mm, Um, Like full support from their families or their friends. Right, right. Yeah. As opposed to like fully celebrating, like how, how much stress are you managing with non-affirming family, whether it's one or both? Um, majority of times you're going to be dealing with at least one it's it's getting better but it's still um, a lot of couples are still managing that and so we're celebrating a wedding and we're trying to grieve my brother not coming and um, and so you a lot of couples are entering into an ice you know isolated in an isolated relationship rather than fully supported fully resourced which starts things off hard um, yeah, yeah. I never yeah. thought of it like that, but that's a really good point. It's not with every couple, but majority of couples that I've worked with, that dynamic is a part of their life. Um, and then how do we make decisions? Do we go to my parents' house that aren't affirming and ask us to sleep in separate rooms? Do mm. we do we not? Well, what if one wants to go and the other one's not allowed? How do you manage that? What happens when kids are brought in? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's a big part that, that creates a lot of tension really quickly in couples that I work with. One thing that Persis has talked about a lot in regards to um, queer relationships being a little bit different from straight is that there's often this very instant connection because you sh- just by the fact that you're both queer, you share something that is that is very unique in that you've had to, whether it's you've had to come out to people or you've had to just realize that you're queer and that's a very unique experience um do do you find that that um is something you've noticed in your oh yeah I mean go back to the trauma bond right right oh you've experienced that too wow me too like yeah yeah it's it's huge and it's deep it's real you know but um you know late in life lesbians like I'll go back to them they will go all in with the very first person that they meet and they're obsessed and they love them so much. And then it becomes this heartbreak that it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I absolutely agree. I can relate personally on that one. Yeah. I feel like purse, you've said that a lot with girls you've dated. It's like part of your first date is talking about like, when did you realize you liked girls? (laughs) Yeah. Have you, have you come out? And that's so great that you, that's such a great icebreaker, honestly, for a first date. (laughs) It's incredible. But at the same time, like it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I've had good experiences with that, but I find Mm -hmm. that it almost seems like it just, it goes really fast. Mm -hmm. I even had um, a date with a girl where we were 
chatting about everything under the sun. And a lot of it had to do with our coming out stories. Hmm. And it kind of brought us very close quickly. And it was just a first date. And I remember my roommate, she was in the other room, just kind of doing her own thing. And I was with um, my date in the kitchen. And the next day she just tells me, you guys, what were you talking about? She was like, that got heavy. Hmm. And I was like, I know, but it, it was just this like commonality Hmm. thing. And it didn't feel heavy to me at the time. But then looking back, I'm Hmm. like, okay, yeah, I guess we kind of talked about everything that had to do with our own queer experiences. What did that feel like internally? It felt very nice. Like I, it felt good to openly talk about that with someone who had gone through the exact same Mm. thing or experiences in high school where I was saying like, this is how I felt. And she's like, Mm -hmm. I felt the exact same way. Cause I, I used to identify as bi. Um, Mm -hmm. I came out as gay officially when I was 24, but when I thought about my dates with men, like I felt the conversations didn't always go that deep right away, but maybe it's because we didn't have that. Maybe that's why like my queer experiences always feel like it's very fast. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm also very gay. So that's why I feel like I, got, <laughs> I would like fall in yeah, love and then ex- experience yeah. so much heartache over it. Yeah. But just comparing the two, mm-hmm. that was a big difference. Just the conversations in general for a first date. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that I've experienced that and I can, yeah, I get, I see that a lot. And the thing that we have to be careful of is that we go, especially women and, um, well, humans are looking um, to be found, to connect, to to, um, have that, that feeling, that intimacy, that connection, right? And then we find that person and we go all in. And then what ends up happening is we end up living in the, the beginning, like we'll stay through all this hard stuff because, and we, what keeps us in is like in the beginning was so good. I've never felt such a connection with someone. So we stay in longer and right. And so that's something to be, to be aware of. I'll talk with couples. Like I'll ask them, how long has it felt this hard? And they're like at three to five years. I'm like, when did it feel good? And they're like, well, in the beginning, you know, we had such a good connection. We had epic sex. We had great conversation. And then yeah. What is your um, philosophy around why this stereotype exists? Like we often, um, there's the joke about lesbians U-hauling. Like they <laughs> they move in so quickly because they like fall in love so fast. And me and Purse were just talking about earlier how we've seen that happen a bajillion times with people in our our lives, our friends, even Purse's with with girls she's dated. And we've we've explored why we think that is. But why do you think that happens? And I and I feel like it probably happens for all queer couples not but I, I wonder why it's a stereotype specifically for lesbians like for lesbians yeah yeah I mean I think kind of similar with what I was saying the intimacy the depth of connection is like this ache that we want that we find and I don't think it's gonna go away I think people are gonna keep you know falling in love and moving in within two to three months you know yeah, totally it's yeah. gonna keep happening but how do you the the how do you not repeat the cycle? Like, oh, it's like a hit, you know, like, oh, wow, that's like such a high. And then that goes away until you find the next person you get that hit with, or you blame your partner that you don't feel the same way. That happens to me every time though. Every time. (laughs) It's a pattern for purse. Mm -hmm. It's a pattern. I feel like, yeah. And then I'll go through a long period of time without feeling that. And I think Mm -hmm. I've like, you know, I've done the work and I'm happy being like completely on my own and single. And then I'll meet someone 
And then it's just like a hundred. Like I literally mm-hmm. go from zero to a hundred. Yeah. 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 We could have an interesting conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could. Yeah. To, yeah. To get really clear on that. What do you ultimately want though? What do you feel like you're, lo- you're wanting in a relationship? Um, ultimately, I think I just really want someone who's more of like a nurturing person. Like I want someone to just be there for me and vice versa. I feel like that's Mm -hmm. the kind of person I am when I want to like offer something to someone, but I feel like the types I've gone for in the past are a little bit more of like the flighty characters Mm -hmm. or they're emotionally unavailable. Yeah. And that leads me to a lot of heartache. Can I ask you something? Of course. Yeah. yeah. How, how big of a window do you have for tolerance when they're not there for you? A big window. Big window. Okay. <laughs> it's really okay. big. It's big. Yeah. <laughs> I say that with love. It's the big window. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you both. Yeah. Yeah. And then ultimately, do you end up being the one to end it? I'm actually trying to think. Yes. In the last situation, I was the one to end it. And then... Mm-hmm. Prior to that, another girl who I was seeing actually like literally left the country, like she was moving. So it was kind of just like a mutual goodbye. Yeah. No, but then other times it's kind of been a mix. Yeah. I've also been the person on the end who's been like broken up with for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. But I was proud Mm -hmm. of myself with the last situation because I did a lot of reflecting and mm. I just had to, it was something that I just like really stood up for myself and like my oh. needs and my wants. And I feel like past me would have probably just like let it keep going mm-hmm. um, until maybe it would have fizzled because ultimately it wasn't working. But I think yeah. um, at least I got to say how I felt in this yeah. situation in particular, because I can be a little bit of a people pleaser sometimes where yeah. I don't yeah. want to uh, bring up any conflict or I'm just like, everything's okay. It's all good. Right, but, right. Yeah. I was just going to ask you that if you were like a peacekeeper in your your home. Very much a peacekeeper. Yeah. 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 It's hard to not keep asking you questions, but I want to be mindful of these are private questions. Oh yeah. No worries. I mean, I say everything on the podcast. (laughs) The listeners know my life story. (laughs) We're an open book and especially persons with her relationships. Like we've talked about it all. And, and honestly, we are curious we as a unit are curious about your your tips for purses just because like and purse you can cut this out if you want to but like purse has struggled in her dating life and as her best friend it really like um confuses me because i think she's like a catch and a half it's just interesting so much of the struggles that i've witnessed for her seem to come from the queerness aspect like for example the girl she's really into just can't decide if she's into women or not or she's kind of dating a guy and like it it comes down to like a woman who can't commit to persis as a woman it feels and a ton of other stuff too obviously just like different issues that happen in relationships and i know that this would probably be like a deep dive like (laughs) like one-on-one session with you in purse but do you have any tips in general for purse or anyone about like breaking those patterns like the the pattern you talked about for example of falling really fast really quick and then staying in it because of that feeling like what kind of um habit breaking um things can we do daily um what comes to mind is get radically honest with yourself and what you want if if you don't have that for yourself if you're not clear on what you want and you'll do it, whatever's easy. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's a human condition. When you learn to start showing up for yourself and not taking an instant fix, a safe and secure, someone who's nurturing, you know, yeah. what does that look like? Define that. What is nurturing to you? Why is that? What does it mean if they're not nurturing? Right? Yeah. So getting yeah. very clear on that. So then when you're in it, you already have, you already know, these are my boundaries and there's no space. Yeah. Uh, it's not being rigid. I mean, there's, I mean, people are fallible, like we're, we're, you know, we're not looking for perfection, but because you've been in this, like I would say you're in recovery almost like you have to start, um, getting really radically honest with yourself and keep yourself, um, protect yourself because you'll keep repeating these patterns. We repeat what we know. And we repeat what feels good. Like that high you were talking about earlier. I mean, it feels really good to like fall hard for someone, even if they're showing signs that they aren't going to be nurturing and safe. And at yep. least like stable, right? I think yeah. I've, I've definitely been in situations that are exciting, yeah. but when it comes down to it, most of the time I, I don't feel that security. And I think that's what I'm ultimately looking for. Like I want a partnership mm -hmm. and I've just been in too many scenarios where it's not that it's just, mm. it's a, it's an instant spark. It's a really incredible connection. But sometimes it just, it can't go anywhere long-term. And I think I'm realizing all of these things right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something when I look, what I'm going to look for in my next relationship is the biggest thing is, are they available? Like fully, you know, because I know that's, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for ultimately mm -hmm. for, my, for me. Yeah. But I'm just, I go off of connection ultimately. So sometimes I ignore what I really want because something just feels really good with someone. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the very beginning, it's, um, you're literally on drugs I mean, your body is producing so many hormones that it doesn't have on the day to day that right. you're, you're not like your level ground itself. You're being pumped with hormones. And then we call that the honeymoon phase, right? And what happens with that? We start to disconnect and we start thinking, oh, I could be happier with someone else. Right. I used to be so connected mm. with you, but now, you know, the old shame was to leave and the new shame is to stay. Oh, I could have someone that's has a better job or a better body or I feel more, they see me. Right. But you're going to carry mm. that into every single relationship. That's not going away. There's a reason why, right. That you want security, but you seek instability. It used to be that we stayed because we had shame around leaving someone, right? Um, in a lot of families, you're raised for loyalty or obedience, right? And so now the new shame is actually staying when you think, oh, I could be happier with someone else. Right. And you're, you tell me, I want to be in a relationship with someone secure, right? Mm -hmm. Someone that's nurturing, but I find myself attaching to instability people mm -hmm. that aren't quite attainable. To me, that's something that's familiar to you. That tells me a lot about your childhood or something mm -hmm. you already experienced that wasn't consistent. Maybe your parents were yeah. there sometimes and other times they weren't, right? Sometimes you'll love you're there and accessible and other times you're not, but you're right in front of me and I, I can't reach you. Yeah, um, I'm actually currently working on that through therapy, though, for yeah. real. Like that. Oh, okay. Scenario. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Hit the nail on the head. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that definitely does. Yeah. It's just so funny how, like, 
We're just all so complex, and I don't even know how any of us are able to have relationships, like with how complex we are and how hard it is to manage all of these emotions and these things we go through in our head. Like how often do you think like mindfulness comes into what you do with your your clients and with queer couples in general, like being present with your partner, but being present with yourself and asking yourself those questions like you were talking earlier, like getting really clear with yourself. What do you want? What do you need? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a beautiful question, Sarah. Um, Thank you so much. In my work with couples, I have them face each other, not me. I tell mm. couple, I do that because if you can't see each other, you can't take care of each other. And that comes down to mindfulness and awareness to be to observe the other. And it's like outer meditation. Um, Ooh, wow. So we have about three to five seconds before our partners, before the person I'm talking to has a response, right? And, but we can go on and on and on. And then we end up not being heard. And so yeah. teaching couples how to face each other, how to watch, I, sh- I start with the body. You know, is their jaw tense? Are they breathing? Mm-hmm. Are they holding their breath? Are they bracing? You know, and so learning how to pay attention to them And by doing that, you don't miss cues. Like we have to error correct when we see something. Like say I'm talking to you about um, something that matters to you. We're talking about like, why didn't you unload the dishwasher? You said you would, we're having a normal conversation. And all of a sudden I see you respond, right? You start fidgeting, you start like, I have to check in. Hey, what was that? Are you, I just noticed, are you doing okay? Did I just say something? Is there anything I need to know about what I just said? Right. So that learning that outer awareness of the other, right. Right. Is it's one of the biggest part pieces of the work I do. The danger is that you end up just taking care of yourself and you drop your partner. And then that's when you go to war. Right. Right. I, I mean, not to bring in my own baggage, but something that I've struggled with in the past is putting my partner first and lose and completely losing sight of like what I need and want. And that's a scary place to be. And so, and that's a place I never thought I would be because I have always been pretty independent and pretty sure of myself and what I want. So do you have any, do you have any tips yeah, yeah. or like, I'm just asking you tips so that we can all find love here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you have any tips for like powerfully saying what you want and need, but also in a way where you, where you're being conscious of your partner too? How do you strike that balance? Yeah. It feels impossible sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And that is the work. How do I take care of myself and my partner at the same time? Yeah. What we're used to is abandoning our sense of self to give into our partner. And then that doesn't work because then we get resentment. So much resentment. So, so much. much anger. Yeah. Wow. But Sarah, True. you weren't born independent. You were actually born dependent. You were dependent on others to show up for you, right? right. To feed like basic needs for shelter, food, warmth, and then right. comfort, compassion, um, affection, right? There's a reason why you're driven for independence. Mm-hmm. And, and so what does that do for you? Everything we do is meeting a need, whether it's protecting you or serving you. So what do you, why do you do that? Why do you give to your partner? If you know, ultimately you've done this before, you know what it's going to produce. Why do you repeat it? 
I feel like a lot of self-doubt comes up and I wanted to ask you about this too just for the people the clients that you've worked with like self-doubt seems like such a such a present thing in relationships it's like you have to even even if your partner is showing you love and affection I think you still do have this doubt that you're good enough for them or that you're you're fulfilling what they need or making them happy enough and so that self-doubt for me personally has taken over and allowed me to doubt myself so much that I'm doing everything possible even though to to make sure their needs are met even though I know that of that that's not going to work and of course my needs aren't being met yeah and ultimately the biggest fear is if I don't fully give to you then what right yeah then well abandonment yeah why would you stay if i don't right if i don't right it's like performance based if i give yes. all of myself to you um, which is unrealistic no but this is the piece that's so beautiful is we think like okay you can you can say like i know i have this tendency i'm not going to date anyone until i figure this out right but mm. we that's actually a myth we know now the brain repairs faster through co-regulation. So there's a reason why you have self-doubt. It's not just there. And so your partner learning how to care for that, learning how to repair and bring assurance in lots of little moments is going to create that, right? We need each other. Wow. wow. I definitely, I feel like the rhetoric commonly is like, especially for women, it's like, like you can build yourself up like girl like you got this independent woman you know what i mean like you can fix your own problems and you don't need no man you don't need nobody and and so i've never even considered the fact that that my a partner could actually like rewire help rewire my brain and this type of self-doubt that lingers there can maybe be coaxed out by someone else yeah yeah because yeah. we don't want to be dependent well not yeah. all of us so it's not in a relationship it's without a partner it's you're a one-person system you meet your needs when they're when you need to right a two-person system is interdependent we both depend on each other as a mutual agreement right and it's not codependent that's one person looking to the other then you have a parent-child dynamic that won't work yeah. so you want that interdependency where I show, we show up for each other as opposed to once my needs are met, then I can help you. Right. Right. And if you were with a partner that knew that part of you, that knew that you gave yourself to like take care of yourself, right. They would catch you in that and they mm. would care for that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the work is everything we're doing is either pushing our partner away or bringing them towards us. And so how can I help you recover and repair within our relationship? That is the most beautiful piece with being with someone is yeah. the ability to repair together. Rather than on, on your own, for sure. Rather than on your own. Yeah, absolutely. That's bullshit. If that, <laughs> and I, it's, I, it makes me so frustrated because so many people are trying to navigate this on your own and you're not going to learn about yourself or you, you're going to, we learn who we are with other people, right? We do interactions with other people, like, and you need, we need people. And the That's idea so 
I like being like the idea of like being independent, being able to support yourself. That's beautiful. That's great. And uh, that skill needs to be developed in certain ways. Right. But the way we isolate ourselves because of that belief is actually causing harm. Right. Do you feel like that the practice of your brain, um, like being co-regulated by a partner, do you feel like that you can do that with friendships? Like say you are single, like do you feel like you can go through that healing process with other relationships in your life, family or friends? Absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah, but we all need each other at the end of the day. Yeah, Yeah. we really do. (laughs) I don't know what I'd do without this girl. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like you have to, if you know you're with someone who is agreeing to do the same thing for you, it's, um, it's, I take care of myself and you because I know you're doing it for me. If you lose, so do I. I know if I'm making your life harder, it's making my life harder, right? If I'm in a fight trying to win it, then I've already lost. It's so obvious, but humans just get so defensive. And I think that's where that like mindfulness thing is, comes into play. It's like you, you have to be able to be aware that you're going to lose if you show up defensively to whatever yes. the partner is bringing to the table. You always will. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Duh. Yeah. I was going to ask you if like, if you feel like your work, like how your work and your real life relationship kind of coincide. And if sometimes you feel like you're on the job in your relationship, you know, like <laughs> if anything, it probably makes you an amazing partner mm. because you can catch yourselves in moments like that. Huh. Well, my partner, Ash, does a similar work. She doesn't work with couples, but she works with queer women. Um, and so we've just given ourselves to developing us as individuals, as a couple. And yeah, sometimes I'll be in sessions all day and then I'll come out and start talking to her. And she's like, whoa, like that's your, I, <laughs> your work talking. You are not a coach, my coach. Like slow down. She, I know. she helps for her. me. Good yeah. For her. yeah. No, she really helps me like come back and ground myself. Like, oh yeah, okay, I can relax here. Yeah. No, that's good to have. There has to be that balance for sure. Like maybe it's good to be called out too. Oh yeah. She's I I'm obsessed with her. She I could talk about her forever. Oh, yeah. That's so oh we love my you heart so warm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You can edit this out, but I'm going to type something here. Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll have to check we can't do this to us. <laughs> yeah, we can't do this. Do this to us. Oh, but, okay, your God. headphones are in, right? Do you? Okay. <laughs> I'm losing it. Sorry, do you have a ring? Yeah. Oh, my God. Can, wait, can you like type? Your... Like, do you, do you know what you're going to do? You can type it, though. Yeah. Oh, custom made. Don't guys, we'll we'll give you the lowdown of what's happening here because I know you're like what's going on. But mm-hmm. basically, Donna is typing to us in the Zoom chat <laughs> that she's going to propose to her partner Ash this Friday. Mm-hmm. By the time this episode comes out, you'll already have proposed. So hopefully, she said yes. I know. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We are so happy for you. Yeah. Want to cry? Oh, yeah. Thank That's incredible. You. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about like relationships and really wanting them to work like I know this can work and really putting effort and then when things just fit when it's just right and then you feel this ease like oh my gosh that's what it is like it's that easy but it should um, be easy that is a beautiful feeling are you in a relationship Sarah I'm not I'm recently out of a, a pretty serious relationship so I'm single for the first time in a while um 
And so that's been an interesting journey. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's some days are better than others. It's not always easy, but I think ultimately, you know, it ended for the right reasons. But it's funny because a lot of the things that I learned in that relationship, I'm realizing now as I'm dating again, that I have to unlearn a lot of it. Um, like that self-doubt I was talking about, mm. I can feel it creeping in. And I'm like, girl, we no, talked about it not no, long no, no. ago too, remember? Mm-hmm. Something was creeping in and then we were just trying just to- like, It's literally like a creepy crawly that just like comes on. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you, I thought I let you go when I, you know, broke up with them. I thought I let you go, but it, it like stays in you. So it's been like an interesting learning and unlearning experience for sure. Yeah. I've tried to change my thinking around those, those spots, these pockets of grief or, you know, loss, even though, you know, like, oh, this is for the better. It's still hurts you know like deeply like you can't communicate grief even though a lot of humans have experienced it in severe ways it's an isolated experience yep it's It's, really hard it's hard but i think like i definitely have what you were saying about being grateful for the trauma that you went through i very quickly was able to see it that way like i have so much gratitude for for things that happened in my in the past because if they didn't happen, I wouldn't have been able to learn this lesson, do this better in the future, be, learn learn who I am and what I want. Like, I definitely have a lot of gratitude for all the pain. It's hard. And, and yeah, it's always, relationships are always going to be hard no matter what. But yeah. I, I am, I truly am filled with like almost overwhelming gratitude. And yeah. I'm yeah. grateful for that gratitude because yeah. it's, it's hard to find. But luckily, it just kind of like cemented itself in me. I don't even yeah. know how. That makes me yeah. happy to hear too. Because it comes in waves, but I've yeah, never sure. seen you and like you're in a good place, like I think ultimately. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if you've heard this quote, but like you can take life, uh, things that happen to you as it's either happening for you or t- to you. Mm, um, for you or to you you know and like my parents initially weren't accepting and so because of that it's a gift for me like because of that I'm going to be an excellent parent I'm going to be mm. open and accepting because I had parents that weren't as opposed to mm. being like I never had support right it's right. a different I it's a different approach and I think it serves us better than living in you know self-sabotage yeah that's a great parallel I've experienced that with my mom is the same way. She didn't have her parents growing up. And so she gave everything to us and like it it showed. I mean, she's just the most amazing mom, but that's how trauma can make us better. We all have it. Oh, yeah. Every single person, every single one of us. Yeah. I think that's why in vows people should, you know, we go to the altar and we say these like profound big gestures, like I promise to love you and never um, leave or forsake you. But that's kind of bullshit because relationships are conditional. This, this idea that it's not is, is not true. It's not serving us because Mm. we have to show up and not in a performance way. Right. But I know what's going to, when I don't take care of myself, when I don't exercise or journal or have therapy, my relationship's going to suffer because my everything internally is struggling, right? I have to show up. I have to take care of myself. Yes. Um, that's huge. Yeah. I think that's a huge takeaway. Yeah. Relationships are conditional. They are. And that's why it's so scary is because it's a risk. 
right? Mm -hmm. It's you cannot guarantee it. It is a risk every time. But are you so scary? <laughs> but for some reason, we all do it. I know because we can't because it's a drug. We can't help it. <laughs> exactly. Like you can yeah. go through the scariest thing and like the most traumatic or I, I mean, I've had many moments where I'm like, I do not want to deal with another heartbreak situation like this again. Yeah. And then a connection happens and then I'm yeah. back. Like, uh -oh. But the most important is <laughs> the most important thing to me is also just looking out for the flags. I think now I'm just so much more aware of hmm. certain situations that I think like and what you said before. Now I just know what I want more. It's like very clear now. So I don't think I'll find myself in a situation like I maybe haven't had in the past. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, being aware of those flags are really, yeah. it's really important for sure. Purse, do you have, we've had you for an hour and we're just so grateful because this conversation oh, yeah. has, has honestly been, been wow. this conversation has been amazing. Awesome. I just wanted to say like, do you have any more, like last questions for Donna about queer relationships and what, you might be able to do better in the future? I think for me, like you kind of answered everything before, just when we were discussing a little bit more of like just these patterns, I think mm -hmm. that I've like held on to. And I think, I mean, I didn't come out really late in life. Like I came out at 24. So, you know, like mid twenties, but I think prior to that, I was struggling a lot with my sexuality and having a really hard time, like, you know, finding relationships that I really wanted to be in. So I think when I finally started to accept the fact that I just wanted to be with women, I think mm -hmm. that also was why everything was just at such a high. And I almost became like obsessive a little bit over these relationships. Mm -hmm. So, and I think like that's all normal when mm -hmm. I think a lot of queer people maybe also go through that experience. Yeah. And do you see that a lot sometimes? Like do clients ever come to you saying like, I don't know. Is, is it common to kind of have that person where they think, oh, I'm never going to meet another person like that again, or I'm never going to meet another girl like that. That was like the one. I don't know. I feel like that happens yeah. to me often. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you said I didn't come out late. I came out at 24, but how long were you managing that internally? The question, the feeling, what's going on? And even if you didn't have clarity, how long do you feel like that you carried that? 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> a long ass time that's it is a decade right and you're experiencing things for the very first time you know 10 years like I mean that is that's profound to me mm -hmm. you know that I think you should have compassion for yourself and um I don't know if you know the author Rob Bell but he talks about everything belongs and it's different than everything happens for a reason right? Mm. Everything you're moving through and experiencing the conversations, the breakups, right? You're getting, I would suspect you're getting more clear. You're getting mm. more clarity. You're more specific. You know what yeah. you want, right? Yes. And we look at those things like, oh, why did I, why did I do that? Why did I go through that? As opposed to like, and then we try to separate from it. Like that, that wasn't me, or I wish I wouldn't have done that. As opposed to like, this all belongs. Like, this all matters and this is all pushing me towards the right place as opposed to living in fear of like, what if there's nobody else? Yeah. Like just enjoy it, appreciate it all. Like the grief and the joy and the sex and the new relationships. Yeah. I think I look at a lot of experiences now. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that saying oh. like it belongs because <laughs> I have had lots of moments where I'm like, Oh, like why did I have to go through that? Or what yeah. was the point of that? 
But then I look back at it later and I thought, I'm really glad I did go through that because I think I needed to learn some type of lesson. And Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for the people who I have met and had these connections with. Like, honestly, I, it's amazing. It also to be able to feel that way. Like, Mm -hmm. Like I, I am such a lover. Like Sarah and I joke that I, I full heart on my sleeve. Like I'm very mm. much open, oh. um, and I'm grateful for those experiences. So, but I am working on the, okay, let's not like be so stuck and like stew in the past and be like, why did that have to happen? Just yeah, I need to keep moving forward. Yeah, well, I mean, I would just even that thought, like, just be compassionate with it. There's a reason why you're doing that. You're trying, like, we have protectors, and so like get curious, like what is, how does that thought serve me? What's its purpose? Um, and it's okay right. to, to think about that, but that's more fear-based like, okay, how do I avoid that in the future? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. Not easy to do, but easy to say. I don't think any of this is easy to say. I mean, there's a reason why your couples need 24 seven support. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Donna, thank you so much for spending this time with us. This was honestly, this was quite cathartic. I don't know how you feel, Purse, but I feel like this was a conversation we both needed. And I think that we just have so many listeners who reach out to us and they're like, just, I'm struggling with this crush. I'm struggling with this breakup. And we, we always try to give advice or input, but I think to hear from someone who does this for a living is just like really impactful and important. Um, and to know that they're not alone in, in these issues and that there are ways to overcome them. It just takes a lot of work. Oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on. You both are really good hosts. Like sometimes I've been on lots of other podcasts and they're like, tell me about your life. And that it's just like, (laughs) this felt really really good and open and you both keep I hope you keep doing it thanks Donna we genuinely like loved this conversation I I mean I felt like this was a very nice like open conversation if anything I just feel like I left this like learning so much me too I feel light as air I honestly feel like yeah if if this is how you make us feel after like an hour conversation I just can't imagine like actually being your client so anyone listening who's like you know what this sounds like exactly what I need please reach out to Donna we'll link all of her information so you can contact her she's fantastic all right well take care you too it was it was really nice talking with you both you too oh, and good luck you, on good luck thank good you luck so Friday. much <laughs> talk to you soon Bye. hey mama this that shit that make you move mama get your booty on the floor <laughs> wait what does he say what do they say <sighs> i'm not gonna tell you it's a disgrace that you don't know the lyrics off by heart so i'm not just gonna give them to you Hey, mama, this, that shit that make you do, mama. Get Get on the floor and move your booty, mama. Your booty, mama. Shake your bum, mama. Come on now, mama. Is that it? Oh, yeah. (sighs) Listen, I don't know. All I know. Booty, booty. Look at that, cutie. Oh. Shake that thing. (laughs) Hey, shawty, we know you want to (laughs) potty. Oh, God, where is this going? Having PTSD. I don't know, but it wouldn't be a girl on girl episode if we weren't singing something. That's true. And we just have the most beautiful voices. I think that it's a treat for the guests, for the guests, for the listeners.
you guys are kind of like our guests because you tune in and you're there with us and then you like reach out to us after and tell us things you like and things you don't like Yeah, you give us validation we need all your validation so badly they just basically say how much they love us and (laughs) how talented we are and yeah 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 that's right and you know they're not wrong it's hard being a celebrity um getting all these dms it's really hard guys i, I just <laughs> oh hope that they can sense the sarcasm but if they don't that's fine too i don't mind anyone mistaking me for a celeb you know what's so funny is sometimes i say things so sarcastically all the time and i have to remember like people might not think i'm being sarcastic if they don't know me very well mm-hmm. and i think i have to remember that when i'm speaking on the pod about how important i am yeah, people take your word as um, scripture. You are basically, you know, the all-knowing God, the all-knowing gay yeah. girl God. And so you have to be careful, Purse, about what you say. I can say whatever I want as a straight white person, um, but you really have to be quite careful. My influence. I feel like our our core listeners, like they know us by now. Right, guys? Yeah, that's true. I think so. But what about people who are new to the pod and they're like, these girls are um, awful. <laughs> they're like, in every these way. girls are into themselves. I mean, we are truly, no, just kidding. We have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of issues. <laughs> As you all heard on this conversation that we just had with Donna. Yeah, we broke um, it down. But we're working through it. And that's all that matters. Um, You're purse. all that matters to me. Yes, oh. sir. Purse, in case you missed it today, we we're talking about something that makes us feel very angry and confused. And yes. it's one of those, in case you missed it, guys, we are frustrated and concerned, but also, also a little bit confused. I know I already said that, but just wanted to say it again. Here's the deal. We saw an Instagram post by this account that we really love. And I want to give them a shout out because they post really incredible information um, about queer history and queer goings-ons uh, in the present day. The account is, um, I don't, don't actually know how to pronounce it, Matt Ziv, I think. So at M-A-T-T-X-I-V. And this account is huge. Like this account has almost a hundred thousand followers. Oh my God. No, sorry. Almost a million followers. <gasps> He's so close to a million followers. It's so exciting. Um, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, chances are you've probably already seen this account. If you haven't great information, we saw this post by him and it really threw us for a loop and we wanted to make sure we talked about it on in case you missed it. So basically what we discovered through this post is that in a lot of places around the world, including the U S gay and bisexual men cannot donate blood like straight men can. Um, this is insane. Essentially, the Red Cross in the States just announced the worst national blood shortage in decades due to a drop in blood drives during COVID. People didn't want to, weren't able to go to blood drives or didn't want to donate their blood. So there's a huge blood shortage. Meanwhile, gay and bisexual men are still legally banned legally from donating blood because of a discriminatory rule that was created during the AIDS crisis. So I guess what happened was at the beginning of the AIDS crisis in 1983, the government under Ronald Reagan um, placed a lifetime ban on blood donations from any man who had ever had sex with another man. Uh, The ban was not rooted in science, but in homophobic paranoia around HIV AIDS. As some of you 
probably know or might remember, there was a lot of misinformation around the AIDS crisis and a lot of stigma and homophobia that surrounded it that was not accurate at all. Um, And so this ban on blood donations came out of that time and came out of that kind of culture that was created around the queer community. Um, And here's to say, like, remember that it was known as like literally the gay disease. Yeah. Yet anyone can contract HIV and AIDS. Exactly. Totally. And the fact that they banned blood donations, that was one of the things that solidified that idea of the gay disease for the public eye and for the culture. Today, gay and bisexual men in the U.S. can only donate blood if they've been celibate for three months. 38 countries around the world have stigmatized blood bans on gay and bisexual men. Many countries also ban women from donating blood if they've had sex with a man who's had sex with another man. (laughs) This is like, what the never ending? This account that we were talking about, where we got this information from, they made a really good point. They were like, a straight man can have sex with a hundred different women on a hundred different days, then walk into a blood drive and donate blood, no questions asked. But a gay man with one partner would be turned away. And as Persis already said, anyone, no matter their gender or sexuality, can contract AIDS, HIV. Um, and so a straight man has sex with a hundred different women. One of them could very easily have HIV and then he could very easily go and donate blood and have that as part of his bloodstream. We feel things about this, angry things. You it's, know what? It shocked both of us. We're shocked. We did not yes. know this was, first of all, we didn't know it was a thing at all, even in the first place. Um, we weren't around during the AIDS crisis. We're just little babies. And we like to think we are. And second of all, I never thought that a law like this would still be in effect in 2022. That was the most shocking part for me. Me too. Me too. Because it's one thing to know this was happening in the eighties, but the fact that this is still happening now and reading that a gay or bisexual man has to stay celibate for three months before they donate blood. Like it's strictly like you're looking at that when we know, we know that HIV isn't just transmitted through gay sex. The majority of gay men do not have HIV. Yes. <laughs> so in this post that Matt made, he talks about a few different, um, a few different things that we thought were important. The one is a, a potential response to this whole thing might be, well, why don't you just lie about being gay? And then you can go donate blood, no problem. And Matt says, yeah, you can. And if you feel compelled to, you should. But individual queer people lying about their queerness to donate blood and degrading themselves in the process, lying about who they are, only fixes the problem on an individual basis. The government could just as easily repeal the discriminatory ban and allow all gay and bi men to donate blood and essentially destigmatize their bodies from being quote unquote dirty. Because, because that is essentially what this law is telling gay and bisexual men. It's your sexually active body is um, dirty and dangerous. And I'm not going to lie, as we were reading more about this, in my head, I was like, what if you just said you weren't gay? But then I quickly caught myself and said, that's not the point. Well, and but I think it's I think it's a very valid question, Purse. Like I and I had that question, too. And I think Matt makes a good point. Like if you're compelled, if you really want to donate blood as a gay or bisexual man and you feel compelled to lie about it, like do it. If that if that if you feel like good about that. So I don't I don't think like it's bad to ask that question. 
but yeah, you're, but you're right. And I think that makes an amazing point. It's like, why are we always putting queer people in the, in that type of position? Why can't we just take away the law that stigmatizes them and makes them legally less than other people? You know what I mean? Like, it's not fair. It's not equitable that a gay man has to lie about who he is yes. just to do, just to donate blood that could save a life. And as we talked about, there is a huge blood shortage in the States and I'm sure around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like it sh- someone shouldn't have to lie about being who they are just so they can help others. And yeah, it's the stigma behind like gay men carrying HIV and like maybe seeing their blood as dirty is just so wrong on many, many levels. And I'm shocked that this is happening. It's like, we've, I've mentioned this before, but sometimes there's moments where I think we're, we're so like, we're moving in the right direction. And then we hear news like this. And I'm like, are we living in this world? Yeah. And Purse, you've said this before, like I've said before on this podcast, like, oh, it feels like we're making progress. And then you've checked me on that a bit and been like, sure, we are making progress in a lot of areas, but we have to acknowledge that we, that we aren't in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. Um, and this is the, you're right. This is the type of thing where we see that so much progress still isn't being made. And for example, France is one of the countries that decided to end the ban on blood donations from gay and bisexual men. And Matt found a few responses to that story, like social media comments that were like, oh gosh, oh gosh, I don't want AIDS. Um, Their blood will have AIDS though. I hope we are able to choose whether we want to have gay blood in US. So the homophobia, as we all know, is still out there and it's strong. But the fact that this law has existed for so long, clearly like the, it has molded people's minds to believe that a gay man ultimately will have AIDS in their blood. Now- Oh my God. It's shocking. I mean, but you see comments. I'm not trying to say that these comments don't matter. They're horrific, but the internet is just full of this kind of stuff. Well, even the stigma behind HIV already is insane. People thinking you can get HIV by touching someone who has HIV. I mean, I remember um, working on some of the social media behind Casey House when they um, launched the June's Eatery, which was the restaurant where people were going to be served by HIV positive can you Folks. tell the listeners what Casey House is in case they don't know? Yeah. So Casey House is basically like um, an organization that specializes in helping those who have HIV. Um, yeah. It's almost it's a like charity. an HIV hospital and it charity, is. right? Yeah. Yes. In Toronto so can... only or? Yeah. It's uh, it's just a hospital in Toronto. Okay. So yeah, it's based in Toronto. But yeah, but yeah, yeah sorry. Social media comments on that. Even just seeing the social media comments about people reacting to like, why would you ever go to a restaurant where you're being served by people who have HIV? Like, it's just really awful. Like the amount of stigma that human, these humans are getting when we know you're not going to (laughs) get HIV by touching somebody. No. And And, uh, from them cooking your food. Right. Of course. Of course. Another response that you might have to this story is that the blood ban is actually for safety. It's not discriminatory. It's to make sure that there's no HIV in any blood that's donated. Um, but 
it's important to note that first of all, like we already said, HIV is not a gay disease. It can affect anyone, no matter their gender or sexuality. That's number one. Number two is all blood donations, regardless of who they come from, are rigorously tested for a number of infectious diseases, including HIV. So every single blood donation. So even if there was blood donated by a woman, um, a straight woman who had HIV, that blood would be tested and the HIV would be detected before it was ever put into a bank where it could be infused into someone else. They aren't just like going about this without testing blood. Like you're not, come on guys. Like it's ridiculous. Like sometimes when people are commenting. Don't get mad at the listeners. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) not the listeners. I mean, obviously I love all y'all. I'm just kidding. I'm talking about I'm talking about the comments on social media. Oh gosh, I don't want AIDS. The blood will have AIDS though. I hope we're able to choose whether we want to have gay blood in us. You know what? You're lucky if you have gay blood in you. <laughs> Amen. You. Listen, it's a great time. It's gay great blood time. is thicker. It's brighter. It's, it's just flowing through your system. This is scary. And it is good that a lot of countries are starting to ban it, but the progress needs to happen here in North America because It's just, I think it's just really interesting that I would say North America is one of the places in the world where queerness is um, embraced and celebrated the most. There are so many countries in the world where queerness is still very taboo um, and unsafe. And in North America, I mean, so much of the, of um, the States and Canada celebrate queerness and we're very liberal minded kind of place, you might say, but then we still have laws like this. And we checked into Canada because the information we just provided you, all of that was mainly for the States. We checked to see what's happening in Canada. And on the Canadian blood services website, they said that today men are Canadian men are eligible to give blood. If it has been more than three months since their their last sexual contact with a man. Um, So, so the law stands in Canada as well. Um, however, the Canadian blood services goal is to stop asking men if they've had sex with other men. So stop that discriminatory practice completely and instead focus on high risk sexual behavior among all donors, no matter their, um, sexual orientation, orientation. Or, the, or their gender. Um, because we understand like we've said a million times in this, in case you missed it, that HIV is not a gay disease. So they made a submission recommending this change to health Canada, which is their regulator in December, 2021. So just last month. So hopefully health Canada will say yes to this recommendation and that this change can happen in Canada. And I'm happy to see that like, um, Canadian blood services is taking this seriously and trying to make a change, but it, it still doesn't change the, the public response. And the fact that, that, um, homophobia around AIDS is still, is still clearly thriving in so many parts of our culture without us even knowing it in the legal system. It's far from over. And I mean, I just see like comments like this, that just reminds me that it's still like very much there and people can be very ignorant. And I think just the fact that neither of us knew this was a thing, it just hit me pretty hard. Cause I was thinking about my gay and bisexual male friends and just realizing like this whole time they haven't been able to donate blood. Like I can. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, sure. Maybe yeah. after after they've been celibate for three months. But you're not you're not getting asked um, that. Yeah. So I, you know what I mean? Like when you think about the people in your life, you're like, I just had no idea. And we really wanted yep. to share it with you guys because um, it's something to be angry about and to research and 
um, just think about, talk to your, talk to the gay and bisexual men in your life about it. Yeah. This actually kind of inspired me too, as well, because I feel kind of bad that I didn't know about this. Yeah. Me too. That's okay. Like we know about it now, but you bring up a really good point. I have a lot of gay and bisexual men in my life and yeah, it's just shocking to think that they would have struggles with even donating blood. Like they'd even have to go, go through this process. Yeah. Essentially the process is don't have sex for three months, <laughs> which is like yeah, but, just ridiculous. But you're right. Like, why am I not getting asked that as well when I could very well be contracting HIV? Absolutely. Too. Either of us could. Yeah. Yeah. So we wanted to share that with you guys. If you have any questions, let us know, check out that post from Matt Ziv, um, because it's, um, really informative. All the stuff that he posts is really great. Um, and yeah, a great account. Talk to your queer friends, let them know that you support them, call your local leaders and tell them that, that you want health Canada to, um, approve this recommendation and that this is important to our community and that it's a real health crisis. We need, we need more blood donations and the um, percentage of gay and bisexual men out of our entire population is extremely high. And we could have blood donations coming in at a high rate from that huge population of people if we just took away this discriminatory ban. So share this to your social media, share with your friends if they're not informed. And yeah, I think like, let's just get the word out. Obviously like this account, Matt Ziv, I wonder if it's Roman numerals. Do you think? I feel like it probably is. I'm just saying Ziv because like X is pronounced as a Z so often I feel lately, but I I have no idea. Matt, Matt, how do we pronounce it? Come on the podcast. We would love to interview you. (laughs) Please come on the pod and explain. But I just wanted to say like, this account is incredible. So if you guys are ever like wanting to, um, get up to date on your queer news. Like this account is also really, really helpful and continue to share. Amen, sis. <laughs> Capiche. Capiche. I love you, Percy Buns. I love you, Sarah. Thank you for this lovely conversation. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. And we love all of you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in every single week to continue to listen to Sarah and I and learn with us as well. Yeah. And as always, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, let us know. We have a bunch of topics that you guys have sent us that are on the docket for upcoming episodes. So we're super excited to talk about all of them, but we're always open for more. So send them our way yeah. at girl X girl podcast on Instagram, or shoot us an email girl X girl podcast at gmail.com. Bye.